the government released a paper on, on, on targeted amendments, or they called targeted amendments to improve the integrity and operation of, of Division 7A, and, and that was released for public consultation back on uh, 22 October 2018. You're listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 152 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. There are two recent developments in the consorted effort to bring a Division 7A reform to some form of life. The first one is the Board of Taxation's review of Division 7A. And the second one is Treasury's discussion paper issued in late 2018 in response to this Board of Taxation review. And it is this response by Treasury that we will focus on today. But before we do that, let's rejig your memory and play you an extract from episode 50, where Peter Adams goes through the recommendations that the Board of Taxation made in its review. What's in the offing? Because there are some significant changes relevant specifically to loans in Division 7A. So what had happened was the Board of Taxation, which is now seen and viewed as some sort of governing authority that gets charged with making changes to tax legislation and suggesting changes and recommendations to Treasury for changes to tax legislation. So that's pretty much their brief. And so they got charged with the task of looking at how we can overhaul Division 7A. And they put forward a number of recommendations to government in 2016. In fact, their first recommendations came through in 2012, and it's just been a work in progress. But they put forward a set of 15 recommendations as their final white paper to government. And the government had had accepted what the Board of Taxation had recommended. We don't have any draft legislation in place yet, but it was already in the federal budget earmark. And so what are these changes that will be encapsulated in legislation? The first change, there will no longer be a requirement for a formal written loan agreement anywhere. Okay? So the fact that you book it as a loan on your balance sheet is enough evidence that it is a loan. So I think a lot of accountants out there will applaud that, will applaud that. And I can imagine there would have been a lot of backdating with respect to this mm. point. Of course, there'd, there'd be a lot of falling over feet trying to make this thing work and because it such, was such a peremptory requirement in the whole scheme of things. So that just falls away. The second element is relevant to the repayments on the loan. Now, remember I said to you, the loan repayments would comprise principal and interest, and the interest component would be based on a benchmark interest rate, which is a moving target every year. What will now happen is the interest rate on a loan will be set at the beginning of the term of the loan, and it won't change. It will be fixed for the entirety of the loan at that rate. And it has to be the official interest rate at that time. 
Well, it's the rate that the Reserve Bank indicator lending rate for small business. On that day. That's the rate, yes, on that day. And it's fixed for the entirety of the loan term. So this gives a little bit of certainty and it's a good outcome. So that's to be applauded too. But the even more concessional aspect is the repayments of the loan on the loan itself. I said earlier, currently under the law, the loan term is either seven years, if it's unsecured, maximum term, or 25 years if it's secured against real property. All Division 7A loans from 1 July 18 will be 10-year loans, secured or unsecured. Because I think that's where a lot of mistakes happened. The term was 25 years, mm. but not registered as a mortgage. Mm. Absolutely. So there's no longer an issue now. They've sorted out and created certainty by saying all Division 7A loans will be 10 years. But then you say to yourself, well, what about existing Division 7A loans? I had this loan three years ago. We've had three years of minimum repayments on this loan. When the new law kicks in 1 July 18, we're now going to have a new regime. What happens to my existing loan? Well, existing seven-year loans can be then extrapolated over a 10-year term when the new rules kick in. So that's advantageous. Well, what about the 25-year loans? 25-year loans will be allowed to wash itself out over 25 years. Oh, that's good. So, so very concessional these measures, and it's to be applauded. The other aspect of the loan repayments is how we repay the loan. Now, remember, now we have to make every year minimum repayments. We explored this a little bit earlier, that if you don't make your minimum repayment, the results in the unfrank deep dividend, all of that. What now needs to happen is, under the proposals by the Board of Taxation, the government accepted, you can now have your 10-year loan, which because it will be 10 years now, you can accrue the interest. You don't have to make any minimum repayments as long as you hit the following timelines. At the end of year three of your 10 years, the loan balance must be 75% of the original loan. So you only ever have to get it by the end of year three, make a payment so you get to 75% of the balance loan, including the interest components, of course. And then by the end of year five, 55%. Oh, 55%. 55%, okay? So not 50, but 55%. And at the end of year 8, 25%. And then, of course, on the conclusion of year 10, the entirety of the balance of the loan. So this is why, as I talk to accountants about this, they are very excited about this particular prospect because it helps with cash flow. You have a little bit more certainty in terms of your repayment structure. So very, very concessional. And this makes sense to me, because when I think about this logically, I say to myself, well, all you really want to make sure is the money gets paid back to the company and it gets paid back at a commercial interest. It doesn't really matter that you hit those timelines as long as in terms of the expiry of that loan, everything goes back and you have a more flexible milestone to test whether that's actually happening. Now, the interesting aspect here, because we don't have the detail of the law, is what we talked about earlier. What if I don't hit my loan balance 75%, 55%, 25% at those milestones? What is the consequential effect? Now, I would suspect it would be similar to what we have now. But it'll be interesting to see when they tease out the detail around this, 
as to how that will look. But I think in principle, it's a good outcome. The only negative outcome, they put in 15 recommendations and really there's only one, there's really only one that stands out as potentially posing significant adversity for tax agents, accountants and taxpayers. Division 7, as we alluded to earlier, kicked in 4 December 1997. That's when it kicked in. What that meant was that any loans executed before 4 December 1997 was outside the scope of Division 7A, unless you altered it, amended it, varied it, changed it after 4 December 1997. You just left it alone. It was outside the scope of Division oh, 7A. I see, but any alteration would have brought it into Division 7A. Correct, and correct. And uh, Section 108 would no longer apply. Correct, okay. correct. So that's why we were always very careful when you had these pre-4 December 1997 loans, you quarantine it on your balance sheet. You don't touch it. You don't do anything to it, okay? And so you'll have a lot of these companies right across Australia who would have millions and millions of dollars worth of these pre-4 December 1997 loans still sitting there on the balance sheet. And so they knew that as long as they don't touch it, they don't have a problem. But one of the Board of Taxation's recommendations is this, that from 1 July 2018, all pre-4 December 1997 loans come within the fold of Division 7A. And so you'd have to set it now over the newly prescribed 10-year term and make your minimum repayments. So if there is a negative element in their recommendations to government that there might still be a lot of consternation on, it's this one. Now, the fate, it's not a fate to complete yet. There's still a lot of lobbying being done by the various accounting membership bodies and professional bodies on this particular aspect. So we don't have the legislation yet, but this is a battleground, this particular aspect. But the balance of the measures, as you've already noticed, uh, are very, very concessional in the outcome. But this is probably going to be one of those that will be a real sticking point out of the measures. Another one that's also a good outcome, we talked earlier about that ATO ruling in 2010 to suggest that the UPE could be a loan in itself even if the cash doesn't come out to the shareholder. But goes to beneficiary. But goes to someone or goes to a trust in which the shareholder is a beneficiary. Yeah. So the recommendation around this is that the Board of Taxation has suggested this. They will allow an election, a once and for all election on UBEs. So what can happen here? is the company and the trust can elect that all the UPs between them will be loans. And therefore, if they want to fix the problem, they'd have to do a Division 7A framework type of loan. Now they won't have loan agreements required anymore, but they would still have to subject it to the the minimum repayments in those timelines that we talked about earlier. So it'll just be a normal Division 7A loan. So the company and the trust will have this choice. Treat the UP as a loan. Now, for some people, this might have the attraction of simplicity. To say, well, if it's a UP, we'll just treat it as a loan. We know how to deal with it. And after all, loans aren't as bad as they used to be in the way the minimum repayments need to happen. 
But the alternative to this is to say the cash that's in the trust that represents the UP is in a trust that's actually a trading trust. And the reason we've kept the cash in there, because we're keeping it in there as working capital. And if you make that election, then you don't need to treat it as a loan. But that's very concessional. That's very concessional. But there's a little bit of a sting in the tail. So it's concessional in the sense that don't treat it as a Division 7 loan. You don't have to do anything. And even if the shareholder of the company is also beneficiary of the trust, don't worry about it. Nothing happens. The only time you're going to have a problem, if that cash comes out of that trust to the shareholder, then you're going to have a problem, which is the normal Division 7A framework under Model 3 anyway. Okay. But there's a sting in the tail if you adopt the second option. This is the sting in the tail. The, for as long as that UPE cash that you say is working capital resides in that trust, that trust will be treated as if it is a company for capital gains tax purposes, which means whenever that trust sells an asset, it will no longer get the 50% general discount. That is the sting in the tail. And so, of course, you can remedy this. Why did they do that? Well, I think because, if I'm really cynical, I would suggest that the ATO felt aggrieved that after they came out with this 2010 ruling suggesting what they did, what Treasury is now doing is saying, don't worry about what the ATO said. You don't have to worry about it. It will only be a problem if the cash actually comes out. So basically knocking the ATO on the nose, and I think this is the ATO's input here to suggest that if this is no longer a problem, despite the fanfare of us putting out those rulings in 2010, then we want some take here, and this is the take, okay? So this is only if I'm being really cynical, because to me it doesn't make a lot of sense, because if it's genuinely working capital, then it shouldn't fall foul of a deemed dividend outcome at all because the trust is your trading vehicle. And unless you don't believe the trust is genuinely a trading vehicle, well, if you don't believe that, you've got anti-avoidance rules under your general anti-avoidance rules to sanction that. So I'm thinking it's a bit rich to have the sting in the tail here. Open election, if you want to treat it alone, treat it alone. But if it's genuinely working capital, it shouldn't have a tax result unless the cash actually comes out. That's my view because that's the scope of Division 7A anyway. But anyway, this is what's now been suggested to the government. And then there's a last element that we just talked about, which is the capacity to get a discretion from the commissioner to say it's an inadvertent error, it's an honest mistake. Now, the process under the current law, is to, as I suggested, file a private ruling request to get that outcome from the commissioner. Part of the board's recommendations is that you can self-assess your problem, identify your Division 7A risk after the fact, fix it, and move on. You don't need to ask the ATO's permission to fix it. And the reason for that is that in 80% of the cases, they said yes anyway. That's right. so Absolutely. So really assess the problem, even if it's after the fact, quantify the extent of the problem, 
remedy it under the framework of the law and move on. Don't ask their permission and wait for them to say yay or nay. And I think this is sensible law. This is sensible lawmaking as an approach. So these are significant changes. We're expecting an exposure draft bill that will come out, we expect, very shortly. So there is a lot of changes that accountants, taxpayers, advisors need to be aware of that's in offing for probably one of the largest areas of compliance that we focus on in our SME market for Division 7A. Welcome back. So this was a short recap by Peter Adams about the Board of Taxation's Division 7A review. Treasury has now responded to this review and issued a discussion paper. And it is this discussion paper we will focus on now with Andrew Henshaw of Velocity Legal. When Peter and Andrew refer to the ATO's position regarding UPEs, Peter talks about 2010 and Andrew talks about 2009 and both are right. The taxation ruling TR 2010-3 was issued in 2010, but it applies from 16th of December 2009. From the 16th of December 2009, any new UPEs to corporate beneficiaries fall into Division 7A territory in the eyes of the ATO. So looking at the Treasury's discussion paper, I started by asking Andrew how it all started. What pain points is the Division 7A reform trying to address? What isn't working that needs fixing? Is it the extent and amount of pre-97 loans that are still sitting around or the hassle of constantly having to do Section 109N loan agreements? Or is it that the ATO's position on UPEs is treading on thin ice? Good question. I, I would say it's probably D, all of the above. So as a bit of history, Division 7A came in 1997. Since then, there's been a raft of changes and we frequently refer to it as, as a game of loans, sort of like Game of Thrones, the, the crown's always changing. 1997, it was brought in. And since then, there's been various changes to deal with What, what I guess you'd call loopholes and, or issues that weren't expected. So in 2002, you had subdivision EA brought in to deal with UPEs in certain circumstances. And in 2009, you had subdivision EB brought in to deal with multiple, cha uh, where there's loans or UPEs in, in multiple chains. The big one was yet in 2009 also, the ATO changed its view about unpaid president entitlements and said that most unpaid president entitlements would be financial accommodation. Now, that's wasn't. it's important to note that that wasn't done through legislation. That was the ATO's interpretation of what an unpaid president entitlement is and that there's financial accommodation. So, Since 2009 going forward, well, the ATO said that pre-2009 UPEs, they'll generally be quarantined. Not always, but generally quarantined. But after that date, we're going to apply this new interpretation. In 2012, the, the government announced that the Board of Taxation would do a, 
a post-implementation review of Division 7A. So it's been 15 years Division 7A has been running at this point. They said, okay, well, the Board of Tax is going to do a review, see what's working, what's not. For instance, there's this whole UPE thing. There's been all these changes to deal with certain gaps. There's the requirement to put a loan agreement in place and no ability to self-correct under Division 7A. So you always need to get the commissioners, seek the commissioner's discretion where you've contravened. So Board of Tax took that project on and, and about two years later, sorry, about two and a half years later, they provided their report to the government. Now, their report was pretty wide ranging and it made a number of recommendations. For example, it had to consider this UPE problem. So one of the recommendations that the board made was that UPE shouldn't actually be subject to Division 7A in certain circumstances. They recommended that trusts, uh, trading trusts could, um, sorry, discretionary trusts should be able to tick the box and elect out of Division 7A, with the consequence that they would lose the 50% CGT discount for all assets other than goodwill. So that was a recommendation. There was also various other recommendations that Division 7A should be a bit more flexible. It shouldn't require principal and interest payments every year. They proposed an amortization model where you'd sort of have to pay down a certain percent by year three, by year five, by year seven. There was a number of recommendations. So that, that was November 2014. Then had a bit of silence and then in May 2016, as a little footnote to the federal budget, the the government said that they agreed to implement the recommendations of the Board of Taxation and that those proposed amendments would commence on 1 July 2018. Now, there wasn't any further detail provided at that time. Time went on and we, we, we got to May 2018, so two months before these changes were supposed to be introduced and we had no detail. So in that federal budget, it was announced that those proposed amendments would be deferred to 1 July 2019 because my guess is no, not enough work had been done. There hadn't been any consultation, there hadn't been draft legislation. It was still a bit of a state of flux. So then we got to October 18 where the government actually released this, this paper with proposed targeted amendments to Division 7A. So that was released for public consultation and that was proposed to take effect from 1 July 2019. That consultation paper did generate a lot of a lot of interest, a lot of controversy, a lot of responses. So the the consultation paper and I, I Velocity Legal put in a put in a submission along with a lot of other people on on this consultation paper just because we thought there were a number of things that weren't that weren't ideal in it. So what was proposed in the in the consultation paper, now I won't go through every line of it, but there's sort of a number of main points. In relation to pre-1997 loans, it was proposed that those would be brought into Division 7A. All loans under Division 7A would have to be on 10-year terms. So at the moment, you've got the choice between a seven-year term and a 25-year term and seven years if it's unsecured and 25 years if it's secured. Under the consultation paper, it was proposed that all loans would go to 10 years. The interest rate would be a little bit higher than what it is now. In relation to this amortisation model that was proposed by the Board of Taxation, it really wasn't mentioned and it was sort of thrown out without really much of an explanation as to why. In relation to the tick the box proposal, that was again 
thrown out and not really mentioned. And when you say thrown out, what does it mean thrown out by the government? By government, yeah. So the Board of Tax recommend, made these recommendations and the government said that they would agree to implement those recommendations. And then what actually came back in the consultation paper was quite different to what the Board of Tax actually recommended. So, mm-hmm. so for example, had, the amortisation was Yeah, gone. yeah, yeah. So that, that means the government is back to yearly repayment and interest. Under the consultation paper, what's being proposed is that, yes, loans would have to be repaid yearly, principal and interest, all loans are 10-year loans, the interest rate's a bit higher. There was some tweaks around not having to have written loan agreements in place in, in certain circumstances. I think they probably were a little bit fuzzy in what they actually meant. I think most of the changes that were more controversial was in relation to sort of grandfathering issues. So they proposed that pre-1997 loans would have to be put on 10-year compliant terms. But in relation to pre-2009 UPEs, they didn't propose that those would have to be brought onto Division 7A terms. So on one hand, you had pre-1997 loans being proposed to be brought within Division 7A But on the other hand, there was no proposal to bring in pre-2009 UPEs. In relation to post-2009 UPEs, the the consultation paper did recommend that legislation be introduced to make this watertight. So instead of relying on the ATO's interpretation of financial accommodation, there would actually be legislation put through that would remove any uncertainty or any doubt that the UPEs would, would be loans. Importantly, the consultation paper recommends that they will be loans immediately. So under the, under the commissioner's tax ruling, the commissioner doesn't say that UPEs immediately become loans. The commissioner says that they become loans if they have not been repaid by a certain point in time. And that point in time is generally about a year after the end of the financial year in which the unpaid present entitlement arises. That's really important because it actually gives a timing benefit to an unpaid present entitlement compared to a loan. You actually got to start repaying it a year earlier. So under the consultation paper, they said, well, that doesn't really make sense. And I, I sort of understand that. The UPS should be treated the same as loans. So, so to just yep. summarize then, the, the Board of Taxation suggested that all pre-97 loans should come into the Division 7A regime. The consultation paper written by the government hmm supported that and suggested the same thing. And then the um, Board of Taxation suggested that all pre-2009 UPEs should also come into the Division 7A regime. Yes. And the government didn't pick this up. No, yeah. In their consultation paper, they only picked picked up UPEs from 2009 onwards. Yeah, yeah. The Board of Tax actually, yeah, recommended that they would not be quarantined and that they would come within the scope of Division 7A. But for some reason, Treasury said that they should be quarantined, which doesn't really make... I don't think it really makes that much um, sense. I can't see why a pre-1997 loan should be brought in, but not a pre-2009 UPE from a policy perspective. Can't quite understand that. Some of the more controversial changes that were proposed was in relation to existing 25-year loans. So where you've got, where you're currently under the current rules, you can choose to put a Division 7A loan on 25-year term if it's secured, if it's secured by, mortgage. by mortgage over over property. If you do all the things you're required to do, you get the benefit of a 25-year term, repay the loan, 
make principal payments over a 25-year period rather than a seven-year period. And people have put those into a, they, they put them into place because they can get lower payments of principal. Under the consultation paper, the government recommended that those loans would be would be would not be grandfathered. So they would they would be exempt from any changes until 30 June 2020. But after that date, they'd need to be put on 10-year terms. So basically saying, look, I, I know you put into a place a 25-year loan last year under the law, but we're changing the law and instead of 25 years, you're now going to get 12 years or you know, 13 years. And I don't really see that as, as appropriate. If someone's put into a place a 25-year loan based on the law, right, as it is it now, it doesn't seem... Appropriate. Yeah, paid, paid solicitors to yeah, paid orders. solicitors to get advice and make sure it's all compliant and everything. And then the rug sort of pulled from beneath the feet and saying, "Okay, well, I know you put this in place back in 2017, 2018, but the laws now change. It's really retrospective. I, I think it's really retrospective change. So I think those should should definitely be grandfathered." Have you assisted clients with setting up 25-year loans? Yeah, okay. definitely. So it's more common than I thought. Yeah, yeah. It's not, I don't know what percentage it is. It's, it's, it's not, seven-year loans are much more common than 25-year loans, but I have assisted clients putting in place 25-year loans and you need to have a proper secured loan agreement, mortgage registered. So there is a bit of, um, a bit of things that need to be done to actually put it into place. Two of the other changes in the, that were recommended by the board, one was to remove the concept of a distributable surplus. Now, this is a bit of a technical one, but in order to have a deemed dividend under Division 7A, the private company needs to have a distributable surplus. And that concept is a bit of a proxy for profits. So if a company has no profits and it makes a loan to its shareholder, there would not be any Division 7A consequences because, well, Division 7A is looking at profits, really. So if a company doesn't have profits, can't really pay a dividend, or, yeah, doesn't have profits, can't pay a dividend, and therefore any loan is really, it's, it's akin to sort of return of capital rather than rather than as a, as a dividend. So the Treasury recommended that this concept, so the Board of Taxation recommended that it be retained, but Treasury recommended that it would be removed and Oh, oh, seriously, the Board of Taxation suggested to keep the distributable surplus. Yeah, they said oh. the sort of it's not broke. Don't oh, you don't need to you don't need to change it. I thought the Board of Taxation had argued against it, but so I'm actually wrong. They argued for it. Yeah, I believe so. I believe they argued to keep it, and the um, Treasury recommended that it that it be removed just because it's too complex. So Treasury actually picked up a change that the Board of Taxation hadn't recommended. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a number of those that the things the board didn't recommend that the Treasury is, has implemented. That that's one of them. So, I mean, you generally have Division Seven A problems where there are profits. So it's it's quite un, I fully accept that it's quite unusual where you're actually even considering the distributable surplus concept. But to take a really simple example, if you've got a company set up a company. Shareholder has $100 worth of shares, so the company's got $100 in its bank account, has never made a profit. For, for some reason, the company lends that $100 to the shareholder. Under the current rules, that wouldn't be a deemed dividend because the company hasn't made any profits. It's really just lending the capital back. But under the what was proposed or what is proposed, that would 
that would be a dividend. And it kind of doesn't really make sense why that should be a dividend because company, the individual's just got $100 share capital, company's never made any money, hasn't made any money yet. Why should that be? Why should that be a dividend? The last one, which is probably the most controversial, or well, I think anyway, is, is, is about the, the review period. So I've talked previously about this, this review period and generally the commissioner cannot amend an assessment if the assessment occurred more than four years ago, unless the commissioner forms the view that there's been fraud or evasion on, behalf of the, on, on the part of the taxpayer. Now, that rule is different in different circumstances depending on which taxes are involved and what provision, but the general rule is it's four years, and that includes Division 7A. So to take an example, if, say, seven years ago, a company made a loan to its shareholder, wasn't repaid, triggered a deemed dividend, no one was aware of Division 7A for for whatever reason and and didn't... They lodged returns, but not with the deemed dividend included, then unless the commissioner asserts fraud or evasion, then it's actually out of time to amend that for that deemed dividend. And what further arises from that is because the deemed dividend's already been triggered, you can actually now forgive that loan potentially without any consequences because it's already been taxed, quote unquote taxed, even though it hasn't been picked up in a return. So the Board of Tax didn't discuss this review period point, but what the what Treasury proposed is that the four-year period would be changed for Division 7A purposes to a 14-year period, so four to one four. And they said from 1 July 19, the period of review would be extended to 14 years. Do you know how they came up with 14? I mean, why 14 and not 10 or 15 or 20? I think 14 was probably come, came up with because they're proposing that loans would be for 10 years. Ah, yeah then there'll be the normal four-year period. So if a loan was made, you could look back through the entirety of the loan over the full period to work out when payments were or were not made. So it, it gives the ability to look back throughout the entire loan because otherwise you could have a loan made this year, then you know it's repaid 10 years later, then you get the normal four-year period. So I think that was the reason for it. It, it wasn't clear if this was a sort of a retrospective review period. So would this go back now or would it just apply going forward? I would have hoped it would be only going forward. It wasn't entirely clear from the consultation paper whether that was the case or not. Yeah, so so that's that's what was proposed as, as a high, high level in the, in the consultation paper. A number of people put in submissions and so forth and... We then got to, so these changes were proposed to take effect from 1 July 19, and we then got to budget day again, which was a bit earlier this year on the 2nd of April 2019, and the the Liberal government said in, in their budget paper that they would defer the proposed amendments to Division 7A to 1 July 2020 and would undertake further consultation. So I think that was a little bit of a acknowledgement that what was proposed was a bit controversial and maybe didn't hit quite hit the mark and and that they'd sort of go away and tinker with it further. So So was it just the general that there was an enormous response they received 
thousands of submissions that highlighted serious concerns? Was it just more general like this? Or is there one clear bottleneck on which everything hinges? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure whether it was done because the government formed the view that the changes weren't appropriate or there was things that needed to change, or it was just done because we were in April with changes supposed to take effect from 1 July, uncertainty about who would get into government, whether they would even have a majority. Once you got to April, there was no chance that legislation could even be passed before 1 July 19. And legislation hadn't even been released at this point either. So I don't know whether it was just an acknowledgement that there's no chance legislation would be able to be put in in time or that they needed to amend things. I suspect probably both. Yeah. Yeah. There isn't one clear bottleneck. It's just that the whole process needed more time. Yeah. I think probably the the main bottlenecks are what to do with pre-97 loans, particularly pre-2009 UPEs and this whole review period thing, I think are probably the big big things. I think everyone's sort of in agreement that there's not going to be seven and 25-year loans. It's just going to be one standard model and then just bits about grandfathering and, and things like that. So I think probably a few stumbling blocks left. And also with all these changes, you need to give proper amount of time to actually release draft legislation and and so people are aware of what to do and they can plan accordingly. Being two months out from any changes without even proposed legislation is not ideal. I would hope if the changes are going to happen on 1 July 2020 that we see perhaps an updated consultation paper this year sometime or ideally draft legislation this this year so before before christmas this year so that people can plan accordingly because there are a lot of these pre-2009 upes and pre-1997 division 7a loans and this this issue about the the review period does arise i have dealt with it and dealt with the ato on this particular issue where you've got loans going back over a number of years so they're all really really big points it's a bit of a bit of a game of loans Welcome back. Maybe one day, the Division 7A reform will see the light of day. In the next episode, episode 153, Andrew Henshaw will talk about shareholder loans, meaning loans from shareholders to companies, and what happens if the shareholder forgives this loan. Until then, thank you for listening, and thank you to Klaus for their support. Bye for now, and see you in the next episode.